0: Hey there, everyone, and welcome back to the 1225 Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Sherman. I'm excited to be back with everybody. Um, I know it's been a little bit of a hiatus, and I apologize. As we still try to work out the bugs and the kinks of getting this out uh, across the airwaves here, just bear with us. Um, These kinks are getting worked out, so it'll definitely start coming across more consistently. So I appreciate your patience, but we are excited to be back and excited to be bringing the third installment of A Good Word. Um, which let's recap that a little bit. So we get our name from Proverbs 12:25, which says anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. And so far in the first two episodes, we've talked more about the defensive nature of a good word. In episode one, we talked about silencing the noise of distraction. And in episode two, breaking the bondage of affliction. Both of these are defensive in nature. They break the attack of anxiety in our lives. They stop the bondage of affliction. They silence the noise that anxiety creates and the distraction that it can pull from us. But tonight we're going to shift gears and we're going to go more on the offensive. A good word is not just merely something that we sit back and hold on to and it, keep, it it breaks the attack that's coming. No, a good word is designed to allow us to advance forward, advance on the enemy's lines, be offensive in nature. It attacks the spirit of fear and it prevents anxiety from gaining a foothold in our lives. And it attacks by keeping us on the path that God has established and prevents by training us to listen to God's word. I had the privilege of playing football in college at a small D3 school called Wheaton College. And my defensive coach, Coach Sandberg, used to often tell us, uh, he used to go men. In every situation, you have one of two choices. You can either react or you can respond. And as I dwelled on that quote, and I sat there and thought about that and chewed that over, it really became clear. And I, I asked the question, what's the difference between a reaction and response? A reaction is, emotional, is an emotional action of self-preservation. It's meant to shift the blame from the self to someone or something else. An example of this might be, it's not my fault. It's not my problem. It's their problem. I just acted naturally. I don't know what the big deal is. Everyone else is doing the same thing anyways. This is just the way I am. Deal with it. It's an automatic defensive speech or action designed to preserve an individual amid a personally harmful situation. What I mean by harmful situation, I mean situations that bring about embarrassment. A reaction is meant to prevent that, or it's meant to get us out of making a mistake. It's meant to formulate a lie so that it shifts the blame away from us. It's meant to finagle us around a sin that we may have committed, but a reaction is born out of fear And it's founded in selfishness. A response, on the other hand, is an action predicated on the understanding of something greater than yourself. It's a trained action leading to an alternative outcome. An example of this might be, I know they cheated me, but I'm just going to let it go. I did not deserve that, but I'm just going to keep going and not let it get to me. I have every right to seek revenge for what they did, but I'm going to love them instead. A response is a deliberate action that goes against our nature amid a painful situation to trust God in his sovereignty. It's a replacement of fear, anxiety, and selfishness for faith, hope, and love. So as we talk about a good word, the third attribute of a good word is a good word teaches us to respond to the sovereignty of God. Sovereignty is the supreme power or authority. Uh, So essentially what we're saying is it creates a submission to God's power and authority over that of our own. It shifts it from us to him. It takes the burden off of us and places it on God. And it breaks that anxiety by transferring it all to God so that we don't have to bear that burden. And we're going to talk a little bit more about this in that in fourth attribute of a good word. But we're sheep. The Bible continually refers to us as being sheep and the Lord being our shepherd. Sheep are not pack animals. Sheep were not designed to carry anything. You've never heard of a pack sheep. We're sheep. We aren't designed to carry a burden. And so a good word teaches us to respond to the sovereignty of God. And that's taking that burden that that anxiety would have on us. It's rushing forward, advancing on the ground because we don't carry the burden. We trust in the authority and power that is supremely put in God. There's two stories that really illustrate this. And one story is the story of David and Abigail. And the second story is of Mary and Joseph let's jump into that first story first and it's the story of David and Abigail found in 1 Samuel 25. Now before we jump fully into the story there's a couple important things that we need to uh, we need to cover in terms of the background of who David is. Because at this point in David's life David is on the run from King Saul. He hasn't been made king of Israel, but he is the future king. He's been anointed as the future king of Israel. He's already defeated Goliath in a miraculous stance in front of the entire armies of Israel with nothing but a slingshot and a stone in his belief in God's power. He's routed the Philistines. He's calmed the evil spirit that has descended upon Saul by playing his harp and his music. And the people of Israel love him. In fact, exclaiming that Saul has killed his thousands, but David his ten thousands. The the people of Israel know that he is the future king. David's a bad dude. And I mean that in the best way possible. He He is a stud. David is the next thing. He is the up and coming. He is the future king of Israel. But the point of the story that we find ourselves in, David's on the run from Saul. Because Saul is trying to kill him, born out of jealousy and derived from this evil spirit that is descended upon him. Saul is trying to, to track down and destroy David. So David is living in the wilderness. But because of David's love for the people of Israel, David is still continuing to protect the people. And as such, while he's in the wilderness with the men that have followed him, they are protecting the flocks and the herds while they graze. They are protecting the the shepherds from the bandits. They are protecting the people of Israel. And one of the flocks that he is protecting is the flock of a man named Nabal. Now, Nabal was a rich and wealthy man who had a number of different flocks. And when shearing season came about, David sent some of his young men to Nabal going, hey, listen, we've protected you. Uh, We haven't taken anything from you when we've been out in the field. We've respected you. We've looked after you. We've treated your men well. They've treated us well. Listen, if you can spare anything for us while we're out here, that would be great. We appreciate it so much. Obviously, I'm paraphrasing. It's all in here. I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but I would encourage you to go back and read it. But essentially, that's that's what David's young men say. But Nabal has a response that probably is not so favorable, especially when you think about who he is responding to. And we see this in verse 10, and it says, And Nabal answered David's servants. Who is David? Who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants these days who are breaking away from their masters. Shall I take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed for my shearers? And give it to the men who come from I do not know where. Essentially, Nabal's response is, who's this guy, David, and why should I care? I don't know you. I don't know him. And I certainly don't owe y'all anything. This is about me. This is my food, my bread, my water, mine, 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 mine. Now, we find out a little bit later from Nabal's wife that Nabal's name means foolish or boorish. And he definitely showed it in this moment because you are telling the future king of Israel, who are you? You are telling the man that has been cheered in the streets with songs saying, Saul's killed his thousands and David his ten thousands. I don't know you. You're telling the man who struck a lion and a bear to protect his sheep, who has protected the lands of Israel, who slew a giant in the field, who cut off his head, who has routed the army of the Philistines, who the Philistines fear and are staying out of Israel because of their fear for David. You are telling this man, I don't care who you are, it's mine. And I'm not giving you anything. Yeah, that's not going to go over so well. And we see that. Because when the men respond, or when the men take this message back to David, David doesn't respond right away. David reacts. And we see this really in verse 13. And David said to his men, every man strap on his sword. And every man of them strapped on his sword. David also strapped on his sword. And about 400 men went up after David, while 200 remained with the baggage. Verse 21, Now David had said, Surely in vain I have guarded all that this fellow has in the wilderness, so that nothing was missed of all that belonged to him, and he has returned me evil for good. God, do the same to the enemies of David, and also if by morning I leave so much as one male of all who belong to him. David's response Yeah, I'm done with this dude. In fact, if I leave any mail, God do worse to me because I'm taking out his family. David is on the warpath and he's mad. The reaction from David is, you're going to die. Plain and simple, you're going to die. During this time, a couple of Nabal's servants run and they run to Nabal's wife, Abigail. And they tell Abigail everything that transpired. And Abigail, in turn, tells the servants to start preparing all of these provisions and this food. And she gets us ready and she rides out to immediately bring this to David. And when she sees him on the road, she falls down before him. And she makes this plea that we read in verses 23 through 31. Where she says, On me alone, my Lord, be the guilt. Please let your servant speak in your ear and hear the words of your servant. Let not my Lord regard the worthless fellow Nabal, for as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name and folly is with him. But I, your servant, did not see the young men of my Lord, whom you sent. Now then, my Lord, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, because the Lord has restrained you from blood guilt, And from saving with your own hand, now then, let your enemies and those who seek to do evil to my Lord be as Nabal. And now let this, this present that your servant has brought to my Lord to be given to the young men who follow my Lord. Please forgive my trespass of your servant, for the Lord will certainly take my Lord and make him a sure house, because my Lord is fighting the battles of the Lord and evil shall not be found in you so long as you live. If men rise up to pursue you and seek your life, and the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living in the care of the Lord your God, and the lives of your enemies he shall sling out as from the hollow of a sling. And when the Lord has done to my Lord according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you and has appointed you prince over Israel, my Lord shall have no cause for grief or pangs of conscience for having shed blood without cause or for my Lord taking vengeance himself. And when the Lord has dealt well with my Lord, then remember your servant. Essentially, Abigail says, David, please don't go down this path. Please don't pursue this bloodlust. Here, take the provisions. Let the guilt fall on me, but spare my husband. Here are the provisions for you and your men. And remember my future king, the Lord has blessed you and your house will reign forever. Do not make this mistake, but let the Lord reign supreme for he is the one who has made the covenant with you. He is the one who will establish your house and all your enemies will fall before you. But my Lord, please do not follow this path. Abigail and her infinite wisdom was used by God to bring a good word to David. And it worked. David realizes what he's doing and he stops in the midst of his reaction, in the midst of his his intent to destroy Nabal. God brings about this woman who brings a word of wisdom, who brings a good word that is showing David how to respond. And David does respond. And he blesses Abigail and he turns around and he goes back with his men and the provisions. But that's not where the story ends. No, the sovereignty of God continues. And we see this because Abigail returns home after her confrontation. And as she's returning home, she comes upon a scene that probably made her stomach fall. And as she rolls up on her house, she sees her husband in a drunken state with his friends drinking and being merry and being foolish. And she probably thinks to herself, you have no idea how close you came to being killed. And here you are drinking and acting like a fool. So rather than tell Mabel uh, tell that night everything that transpired, Abigail waits. And she waits until he's sober the next morning. And then Abigail tells Nabal what occurs. And we read in the story that once Nabal finds out what occurred, it says he became like stone. His heart failed him. And he lay there 10 days suffering until God finally brought death upon him. He had a stroke. He was paralyzed for 10 days. And then he died. But God's sovereignty wasn't done. Abigail was a woman of wisdom, and he knew David would need such a woman in his life. So God ultimately brings David and Abigail together, and Abigail becomes David's wife. So what does all this mean? Well, good word reminds us to respond even when we initially react to a situation. Abigail was used by God to protect David from shedding innocent blood. And this may not seem like a huge deal, but it is. Because the consequences of David's reaction, he would have been deemed a murderer. He would have lost respect from the people and his men. He would have had a continual internal and lifelong turmoil. And Abigail would not have been his wife. In fact, we see David react to a situation in the story of Bathsheba found in 2 Samuel 11 and 12. He has an affair with this woman. He gets her pregnant. He brings her husband back to try to cover everything up. And then he sends her husband out to battle and has him killed so that nobody can figure it out. And then he marries Bathsheba and the child is his anyways. Nobody knows, right? God knows. And as such, David's household was in continual turmoil from that point on. Children were fighting against him. They were trying to wrestle the throne away from him. God still protected him, but his life was never easy again because he reacted to a situation. This could have been a similar situation that occurred with Nabal, but God God brought a good word to him and he listened and responded in this situation, but he reacted with Bathsheba. See, the sovereignty of God is always at work in and through our lives, whether we see it or not. One of the best quotes I've read is from a man named Mark Hitchcock. He's a great prophetic uh, scholar and, and, and he's written a number of books on end times prophecy. But one of the things that he continually says is we look and we can only see one frame at a time of our lives, like a movie. We only look and see one individual frame at a time. But God sees it all at once. See, we react to a situation because it's the easy choice. Responding is hard. What we want is an easier choice because we just want to make it happen right then. We we struggle with patience, especially when we don't see the whole f- picture. And when we want, when we get into a situation that is painful or that is going to cause us suffering, we want to react to protect ourselves. But we need to train ourselves to respond because God is always at work. And when God works, God will always work out everything for the good of those who love him. Romans 8.28 our reaction may be an immediate gratification for our desire of revenge, but it is selfish, unfulfilling, often leading to regret and further consequences. However, God's chosen plan of action will bring about complete and total restoration, joy, and fulfillment. Especially when we get hurt by somebody. We want to we snap back. We want to seek revenge. We can't. We have to trust in the supremacy of God's power and God's authority. David went from murder to marriage. He went from anger to love. He went from revenge to justice. That's the result of responding and letting God's sovereignty rule supreme. The second story that I want to look at that really illustrates this is the birth of Jesus or the story of Mary and Joseph found in Matthew uh, Matthew 1, 18 through 25. And before we read this story, I'm going to read the whole thing. I want to point out Joseph is the most underrated story in the entire, the most underrated hero in the entire Christmas story. He gets very little credit, but he deserves so much more, not taking anything away from the birth of Jesus. But there is a key element here that we need to focus on in Joseph, and that's what I want us to focus on. Focus in and hone in on Joseph. Verse 18, it says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man, There's a couple interesting points here that we need to go through, but number 1 is what is this idea of betrothal? This is not something that we have in our society today. In Jewish custom, a betrothal was a legally binding marriage between a man and a woman, but it would be the equivalent of our of our days engagement. However, they were legally married, but the marriage was not consummated. During this year-long period the man or the husband would go off and prepare the home for his new family. And upon the readiness of the home, he would show up with the bridal party as a surprise to his new wife, and they would carry her back, and there would be a there would be a weeks long celebration of this new marriage and then ultimately the consummation of the marriage. But it would be the equivalent of our our engagement. The important thing here is during this betrothal, you are legally binding marriage. So here's where the problem comes in place. These married couple who had not consummated their marriage, all of a sudden Mary shows up and she's pregnant. This creates a dilemma for Joseph. And we read in verse 19 that Joseph is a just man. What does that mean? Well, the Greek word there is dikaios, which means approved by God or just in the eyes of God. And what this does is this creates a conundrum for Joseph. It means Joseph was a very righteous man in the eyes of God. He sought God. He sought to be a righteous man. He tried to live a righteous life. So he had one of two choices. If he accepted the pregnancy, then he would have been rebuked. An outcast from the community for appearing to have had sexual relations with Mary before the approved time. Essentially, it would equate to him admitting to sin. There would also be the embarrassment of having to raise another man's child because that would condone Mary's adultery. But if he rejected Mary, then the punishment for adultery under the Mosaic law was death by stoning. Of course, he could always divorce her, which was definitely an option, and we read about this. And he could have divorced her in one of two ways. It could have been a public shaming of divorce, which would have been very public. It would have exonerated Joseph. He wouldn't have had to worry about anything, or it could have been a quiet divorce, which just would have separated it, and then they go about their ways. And this is part of the conundrum for Joseph. He doesn't. He loves his wife, his, his betrothed so much that he doesn't want to put her to shame. We read about it in verse 19. But at the same time, he loves God and he knows he can't condone this. So this is why he decides to divorce her quietly, which by the way, this decision to divorce her quietly that he is wrestling with, that he is struggling with shows his ability to respond in a situation. How many of you out there, if you found out your spouse had another kid while you guys were engaged or, you know, became pregnant while you guys were engaged and it wasn't yours would respond in a calm, cool, collected way like this. The natural reaction would have been stoner. That's not my child. Or publicly shame her. That is not my kid. Who are you to come to me telling me you're pregnant, but yet you're still somehow a virgin and this angel showed up? No way. Forget you. That's not the case. That would have been the reaction. But he responded in this situation. So we know Joseph has an ability to respond which makes sense. If you're a just man, if you're righteous or approved in the eyes of God, you're going to know how to respond. And this is why the angel in verses 20 through 23 comes, and we see the situation occur for Joseph in which he has another choice to make. And It says, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive to bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So Joseph has another choice. He can either react or he can respond. The reaction upon waking up from this dream would have been like, what in the world just happened? And if I take her to be my wife, what are people gonna think? This is no way this is real. It was a dream. I'm gonna put it out of my my mind because that that is not my child. Or you respond and you go, you know what? I'm gonna trust in God. I'm gonna realize He is blessing me, even though I don't I don't understand it but I'm going to believe in his sovereignty. See, God's sovereignty in this situation that Joseph was was privy to was Joseph was chosen to be the earthly father of God himself. Every time I hear this story, and this came about through through a weird set of circumstances and, and some very... Uh, Quick trials in the moment of when my son was born, uh, I was the first one who got to hold my son. And so I think about about that moment and just how special that was, is when they put this little baby in my arms and looking down and realizing that I'm now responsible for this life. It's one of the coolest, most awe-inspiring moments that is etched into my mind and will be for all eternity. But I think about this moment for Joseph. Because Joseph is sitting there as Mary is giving birth, and when the baby Jesus is put in Joseph's arms, here's a man chosen by God who is now holding God in his arms with the responsibility of being his earthly father. And I have this picture of God the Father standing right beside Joseph, not visible to the human eye, with his arm up on Joseph's shoulder, and they both look down at the future Savior of the world. It's one of the coolest moments that if Joseph had not responded, he never would have experienced. See, when we listen to God and trust in his sovereignty, unbelievable and unimaginable roads wait before us. Joseph listened and he became the earthly father to Jesus Christ. It makes you ask the question, what does God have in store for us if we just listen and respond? When we remove our assumed understanding and we replace it for faith in God's complete knowing, what will happen? The Lord wants to bless us. Even when it makes absolutely no sense, the Lord wants to bless us. That's why I think Joseph is the unsung hero in this. He's the earthly father of Jesus Christ because he responded to the word of God. So a good word teaches us to respond to the sovereignty of God. The world today is filled with anxiety inducing stimuli. COVID-19 is continuing to rage. It's continuing to morph and evolve. It's continuing to get more contagious. Deaths are continuing to rise. Vaccines can't be delivered quick enough. It's a mess. The US political upheaval is continuing. Even though we have a new president, the second impeachment trial is going on. There's greater divide that is, that is existing within our country because of the political sides that have been drawn. We're beginning to experience extreme weather. I read a report the other day that says 2021 is gonna be the worst year for famine in the history of the world because of what the pandemic has done across the globe, which means we can expect inflation. We can expect food shortages. We can expect more extreme weather to occur. There's international tension taking place. We see the constant, uh, the constant escalation of tension between Israel and Iran. Russia, Turkey are mobilizing and, and unionizing in, in Syria, causing greater unrest in, in the region. China and North Korea and others are creating more and more uh, tension across their spectrums. We're on the precipice of, in the real possibility of having or witnessing World War III. Those are public anxieties that we all face, but there's private ones that are going on in our lives. Hundreds of thousands of people are wrestling with the death of loved ones. They're mourning. They're grieving. Hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people are struggling with financial burdens that are inexplicable, unexplainable, deafening in their noise because we don't know how we're going to pay bills. People can't find jobs. Marriages are being strained while home lives are well, are deteriorating. We can't go do the public things that we wanted to do. That's creating mental health issues. The world is filled with anxiety. So our natural reaction to this anxiety is fear. We see it. We see it happening all around us. People are afraid. In fact, in Luke 21, 26, Jesus even talks about men's hearts will fail from fear. And we are experiencing that fear. That what if slippery slope has been so primed and it's ready to take us down in the mountain of fear and anxiety. What if my spouse catches COVID-19? What if they go into the, into the ICU? What if they don't come out? What if I can't pay my bills? What if... What if my children can't stand being at home? What if I can't communicate to them? What if? What if the international tension boils over and I get caught in the middle of a war and I can't defend my family? What if? The reaction is fear. But the response is faith. See, God is sovereign. God is supreme. And we just read two stories that make absolutely zero sense for how the men responded, but they did because they trusted in God. And faith is an offensive weapon. A lot of times we read as faith as being a defensive weapon, and we get that from Ephesians 6 when it talks about the, the, the armor of God, put on the whole armor so that you may be able to withstand the fiery onslaught of the enemy, the fiery darts of the enemy. And it's true. And one of that piece of armor is the shield of faith. But what we don't realize is that the shield of faith is meant to advance, is meant to take ground. See, if the enemy is firing fiery darts at you, they are trying to pick you off to keep you from advancing. They're trying to take you out before you can even get into battle. They don't want you to advance because they know that when you bear the shield of faith, you can advance upon them because their fiery arrows will be extinguished and they have no harm because you are putting your faith in Jesus Christ and God Almighty, who is sovereign to save and is sovereign and supreme above all that even they The enemy itself bows before God Almighty and says, you are king of kings and Lord of lords. So our response, my friends, is faith. Romans 5, 1 through 5, and this is a life verse for me, talks about this. And it says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our suffering, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy spirit who has been given to us. My friends, we are blessed because when we have faith, when we carry that shield, when it is locked and strapped to our arm and when we are advancing, we are dwelling within the triune God. We are getting our faith through the Lord Jesus Christ who died and bared the burden for us. And we have the love of God poured out on us, that we receive through the Holy Spirit that dwells within us. The triune God is at work and he is working so that you can advance but not have the burden of having to advance. He knows, he sees, he is all. And that, my friends, is why we respond. We respond in faith. If you guys haven't picked up on it, I live down in Texas and hence why you get the y'all throughout some of these conversations, which I apologize for, but not really because I've tried saying it other ways. It just doesn't work. Y'all is the way to go. It's the proper way, by the way. Um, But there's a Texas mentality that exists down here. And it's, it's one that I absolutely love. When times get hard, the mentality is grab your family, grab your guns. Bunker down and fight them till they run. You bunker down and you fight, but you defend your family, but you fight. You don't bunker down and hide, you bunker down and you fight. I'm going to change this a little bit for us because there's a Christian mentality that can be adopted from this. And it's one that I think we need to adopt and we need to enact in our lives. And that's grab your family, grab your Bible. Hit your knees and wait for God's arrival. We have to respond. And our response in a situation is faith. It's being in the Word, it's getting down on our knees in prayer, and it's watching with anticipation for what God is about to do because He is the one who can do it. David responded. He responded to God's warning through Abigail, and in return, he gained a wise and beautiful wife to stand by his side. He was released from the blood guilt that was about to be put upon him if he had followed through with his reaction. Joseph responded, and when he responded to God's call, he was blessed with being the earthly father to the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ. In closing, There's a passage in Proverbs 3, 5 through 6, and it's a pretty common one, but I want to read it for us. It says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. When a situation arises, Respond with trust in the sovereignty of God. Respond with faith in his divine and perfect plan. Respond by letting go of our understanding and surrendering to his knowing. In every situation, we have one of two choices. We can either react or we can respond. My friends, choose to respond, respond, respond. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you. And in the world that we live in, God, in the the attacks that we receive, whether on a personal or public front, Lord Jesus, anxiety is all around us. But Lord God, you have outfitted us with the ability to respond. And Lord God, let us respond in faith. Let us advance and not sit back, but advance on the enemy, Lord God, taking ground, not under our power, Lord God, but under our faith in you, knowing full well that you are God, and all forces on heaven and earth, they bow before you as you are King of kings and Lord of lords. Thank you, Lord, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to thank all of you for being with us like i said i know it's been a while since we got one of these out we are definitely going to get more consistent so thank you for your patience excited to be back with you excited to be talking to you again um, i do want to mention that we now are on instagram finally we're joining you know this modern air please follow us at 1225 podcast um you can you can get a hold of us there you can talk to us there we'd love to hear from you uh, we're going to be posting some com- uh, content that is not going to be necessarily on the podcast. Um, you'll be able to to listen to the podcast through that uh, link as well. So uh, whatever's easiest for you, but please follow us on Instagram at 1225podcast. Excited to see you on there. Before we go, I'm going to close it like I do every episode. No matter what you are going through, no matter what you're facing, no matter what you've been told, No matter what anyone believes, always remember, you are loved. Have a great night.